Welcome to our C3 Grow podcast. Wherever you are today, we hope that this message encourages you. We'd love to see you in person at one of our three locations, Howick, Ormiston, and Suva. Visit c3grow.org for details. It is upon us. Christmas is here, whether you're ready or not. Today, we are beginning our brand new sermon series, Good News, Great Joy. And uh, to begin, uh, we're going to be in the book of uh, Isaiah, and uh, we're going to read Isaiah 40, verses 1 through to 5. That's our main text for this morning. Uh, We'll also be heading over to Luke's gospel as well as John's. Over the next several weeks, the aim of our preaching is that you would arrive at Christmas time with a greater appreciation of what Christmas is all about. And uh, so uh, I invite you now to open your Bibles with me to Isaiah 40, and uh, let's read verses 1 through to 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level And the rough places are plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I thought that I'd preach uh, this message on this morning because this is a promise of comfort extended to the people of God who find themselves just a little beaten up. God's people were in exile, they were isolated, they were oppressed, they were discouraged, they were downtrodden. The reason that they found themselves in this position was essentially because they had stopped listening to God. They had stopped listening to his messengers, they had stopped trusting in his message And instead of obeying him, they decided that they knew best and that things would work out better for them if they made a go of it on their own. And so that's what they did. Now, um, I don't want to say that the difficulties that we have faced this year and over the last few years is because you yourself have stopped listening to God. But When I'm reading this, I'm thinking, doesn't this just sound like our nation? We live in a fallen world that has stopped listening to God. We live in a nation that has stopped trusting in his message. And we certainly are a race of people, as surely as Israel was in Isaiah's day. Uh, We think we know best, and we think that things will work out better if we make a go of it on our own. So this is our story too. Sin and rebellion always has a consequence which we can't outrun. For Israel in this day, the consequence of their uh, rebellion was exile. Exile, isolation, oppression, 
discouragement. Life did not go as it was supposed to go. They had trouble. And in the middle of the pain and the distress of all of their self-inflicted troubles, they began to mutter against God, uh, as if the reason for their troubles was that God had abandoned them. But in reality, both in Israel's reality and also in our own, God had not abandoned the people. The people had abandoned God. Now, you may ask, where is the comfort in this message? Well, here's the message of comfort. You may have thought that God had given up on you, but he hasn't. If he had have given up on you, there would be very little in the way of hope for you this Christmas. But because he hasn't, there is. So here in verse 2, the, message is the messenger is told to tenderly convey to the people of God that her warfare is ended. Her warfare is ended. Other translations, such as the King James, use the word accomplished instead of ended. So there's this sense in the language in which God's people are suffering under the weight and under the consequence of their sin and their rebellion, and they are feeling as if it's all arbitrary and they've been abandoned by God. But now God says enough is enough. He calls an end to the whole uh, experience of being stuck in the muck and stuck in the mire of our self-inflicted exile and he declares that this time has run its course. It's now the right time for him to intervene. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to uh, receive a word like that from the Lord uh, right now. So he says, uh, cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. So remember, it was... Israel's iniquity that had sabotaged her life. So what could be more comforting than this message? This was a prophetic word for them and a reality, the reality of it still lay in her future. But this was the message. You have sinned, you have suffered for it, but God has not forgotten about you. God has not abandoned you. This is not the end of your story. Now, how God would pardon their iniquity is revealed in a stunning way over in Isaiah 53. And I'm just going to read verses 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And boy, we could spend a lot of time looking at that. But what could be more comforting than this? God hasn't given up on us. He hasn't given up on you. In fact, he moved in the sending of his son to be pierced, to be crushed, to settle the sin problem of ours, to settle the sin problem of yours. 
that not only sabotages your life now, but threatens to make you miserable for all of eternity. This is the kindness of God, which of course he knows to be the most effective approach in leading us to repentance. So let's look now at uh, verse three. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So when Isaiah talks here about the wilderness and the desert, he's not so much talking about geography. He's talking about the dry, barren, spiritual condition of the people. Now, I want you to notice here that the way or the highway in verse 3 is not a path for the people to make their own way out of the wilderness, to make their own way out of the desert. Do you see that? It's not a roadmap. It's not a manual. It's not a self-improvement strategy or a guide for the people of God to figure out their escape from out under the weight of their iniquities. No, it is, it is a path that is to be cleared for God to come into their wilderness, for God to enter into their desert, make a way for God to come into the sadness, into the drought, and into the emptiness. At Christmas, we celebrate that God did exactly that. That's the incarnation. So I want you to come with me over to uh, Luke chapter 1. And as you're finding your place there, I want to try to bring together what we've seen so far so as to set the scene for what we are about to read. The people are in exile, thinking that God had abandoned them, but he had not. They were suffering under the weight of their sin and rebellion. Their lives had become like dry and barren deserts which they could not escape. And God makes promises to them that he was going to come into their world. And when he does, he would bring them comfort, consolation, and deliverance. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, uh, the people came out of exile the actual exile that they were in. But in all of the time between Isaiah 40 and Luke 1, this promise, the grand fulfillment of this promise, just kind of hung in the air, awaiting its fulfillment. It hung in the air for hundreds of years with what eventually became agonizing silence from God. The heavens shut up, if you will. Now, with that in mind, let's read Luke 1. I want to introduce you to a Christmas character, Zechariah. So we're going to read from verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. 
but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Okay, so he's on duty. He's on duty. he's, He's serving as a priest before God. And he is chosen to go into the temple, to enter into the temple of the Lord on behalf of all of the people to make intercession. Okay, we read on. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Okay, I've, I've read that a lot. And, and I guess I've always just assumed that when the angel said to him, your prayer has been heard, the angel was talking about uh, the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth to have a child. But as we've already found, uh, they, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. Both were advanced in years. They had probably given up on having a child. And if they hadn't, then Scripture would probably tell us that they hadn't. What makes more sense when you think about it is uh, that God had heard the prayer of Zechariah that he was praying in his capacity. He was on duty. He was standing there in the temple as a priest before God, and he was praying according to the custom of the priesthood. He wasn't in there uh, praying for a son. Uh, Given the promises of God for the comfort, the consolation, and the deliverance of his people, these promises which were hanging in the air, it's very likely that the prayers of Zechariah were according to that. God, come and comfort your people Israel. God, come and console your people Israel. God, come and deliver your people Israel. God, come and perform according to your promises. And then suddenly, uh, in an even grander sense than the, the suddenly that we saw before, God says, okay, enough is enough. The grief of the experience of being stuck in the muck and the mire of your self-inflicted spiritual exile has run its course. It's now the right time for me to intervene. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now, if we look a little further into Luke 2, we read from verse 69 that uh, John was born, Zechariah uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied over him in this way. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old 
that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our father and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God." whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now, as you read on in Luke's gospel, that is exactly what he does. People come from all around the region uh, out into the place where he was preaching. And there he was preaching. And what's he saying? What's his message? John 1.23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So the ministry of this boy is the fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verse 3. And then someone says, well, then who is this Lord that you speak of? You've said, I am not he. You've said that you're preparing the way for the one who is finally and fully going to come and bring us comfort, consolation, and deliverance, well, okay then, where is he? John 1, verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Okay, let's go back to Isaiah 40, and uh, we'll pick up where we left off. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. As you may well know, life takes us through valleys. Life presents us with hills and mountains to climb. Life isn't always even ground. It isn't always smooth sailing. I wish it were, but it isn't. Sometimes our troubles are our own doing. Sometimes they are somebody else's doing. But you can be sure that you will have them. Now, I know this to be true. I am more than capable of getting myself into a valley. 
I am more than capable of getting myself into a mess. What I am incapable of doing is lifting a valley up. I am incapable of making the mountains low. I am incapable of making the ground even and making the rough places a plain. So when you're in the valley or when you're standing at the foot of the mountain or when you stumble over uneven ground, where does your hope come from? Because eventually in life, even if you are capable of lifting yourself up, you will come across a valley that is too great for you, a mountain that you can't climb, or a path that is too rocky for you to scale. So where does your hope come from? Well, the message of Christmas is that God gets us out of the valley. God helps us climb the mountain. And God can make uneven paths straight. The Christmas message is about the doing of God for the deliverance of mankind. Isaiah 40 verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The exile of Israel came to an end only for the silence of God to descend. The agony of God's silence hung in the air for hundreds of years. And then suddenly, as Zechariah went through the routine of his priestly duty, God speaks. I love the way he was shocked. He was fearful when the angel appeared as if he was going through this duty with almost no expectation that he was actually going to hear from God. Suddenly, the angel of the Lord appears. And then again, suddenly, on a routine night in the shepherd's fields around Bethlehem, suddenly, the angel appeared and the Lord shone Around them. Luke 2, verse 13. Suddenly there was uh, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. What did they find? They discovered the answers to the prayers of Zechariah's people, as well as the answers to our prayers. They discovered the end of the silence of heaven and the provision of comfort and joy to us all. Luke 2 verse 16. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. For more information about our church, 
You can find us online at c3road.org.